good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Like Bevan said, my name is Elliot, and um, I want to share with you an observation, an observation that's made in um, the book of Job that's really interesting. It says this in Job chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Now, I really do not like this observation. I mean, this is, this is the most optimistic time of year. I mean, all week, you know, I've been taking my Christmas lights down outside, and people have been walking by, and they've said, Happy New Year. This morning, people have said, Happy New Year. I mean, this is, this is the time of year where we're excited. We're excited about our resolutions, about the change and the improvements and the new stuff that could happen in the new year. This is a time of optimism. I really don't like this observation. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. I would, I would prefer it if the verse said, a person is born to success as surely as sparks fly upward. Or I would prefer it to say a person is born to peace and happiness and satisfaction, but not trouble. I mean, can't there be something more encouraging, more positive than a person is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward? But if you and I reflect on our personal experience, and if we just consider the experience of people around us, we realize that trouble is something that we all have in common. And yeah, I mean, obviously, like the frequency and the degree to which we experience it might differ, but we all experience trouble in its various forms, pain, loss, suffering, hardship. I mean, choose your synonym, but we're all going to experience it. And it turns out this observation that's made is pretty accurate. We're born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Trouble is just a part of life. And what do we do? What's the question that we ask whenever we encounter trouble in its various forms. Well, the question we ask is, why? Why is this happening? What's the cause? What's the reason? What's behind this? I've got this thing in my life that I don't like. We don't like trouble. I've got this thing in my life. What's the source? Where does it come from? That's what we want to know. And often our thinking about trouble is pretty simple. I mean, we kind of have this compartmentalized view of life. You know, we kind of got our work life and our our family life. And, you know, we got our hobbies and we got our church life. And we kind of separate it all. And we we think in very simple terms. And usually we kind of view trouble in the same way. So if trouble's coming from over here, we think, well, maybe, maybe God's behind this. We want to point to one thing. Maybe, God, maybe God's doing this to me. Why is God bringing this trouble into my life? Or maybe the trouble we point to another person and we say, if they wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't be experiencing this. This, is, this trouble is their fault. Or maybe we, maybe we point to ourselves. Maybe we say, if I wouldn't have made that decision, this wouldn't be happening. Maybe we blame ourselves. But usually our, our view on it and the source of it is pretty simple. And so what we end up doing is we end up playing whack-a-mole with the trouble that we experience. Remember that game we played as kids? By the way, I don't know this guy. Somebody asked if, if I knew him. I don't know who he is, just a picture off Google. But we do this. We, we play whack-a-mole. It's like trouble pops up over here, and we've got to deal with this. And then trouble pops up over here, and we've got to address that. And then, you know, maybe it's this person. Okay, well, we've got to remove them. Or maybe it's God, so let's appease the deity. Whatever it is, we, we end up kind of playing whack-a-mole with the trouble that we face in our lives. The problem is trouble is a lot more complex. It's not as simple as, oh, it's just coming from this one source. Actually, trouble has layers to it. And oftentimes, when it comes to the trouble that you and I encounter in this life, the reality of this life, is there's more than one layer involved in the trouble that we're experiencing. That means that if we're trying to play whack-a-mole and just like, we'll solve this thing or fix that or remove them or, or take care of this over here, we're really not going to get any traction. So this morning, what I want to do with our time is I want to look at an illustration that kind of helps us understand the sources of the trouble that we 
experience in this life? What's behind it? And my hope is that in doing this, I know this has been the case for me and the case for others, I hope that we, we start to get some clarity on, okay, this is kind of how reality works. This is where it could be coming from. And then as we start to understand what's going on, then we can start to figure out, okay, how can we navigate this based on what God said to do? So that's kind of the goal for this morning. So like Bevan said, on your outline, you've got five circles that we're going to go through. Now, I did not, I did not come up with this. I saw this uh, illustration shared by another pastor from Texas named Harold Bullock, um, but it is incredibly helpful and something um, that I think you could find beneficial as well. So we're going to dive into this. And the first one we're going to start with, the very first layer of trouble is the center circle, and that one is poor judgment. The first layer is poor judgment. Now, I could have used a different term. There's other terms you could use here. I could have, I could have said stupidity, but that sounds kind of harsh. So poor judgment, you know, sounds a little more forgiving, but we make mistakes. There are oversights. Poor judgment is a part of life, and there's trouble that we experience because of poor judgment. One time I was driving through a neighborhood, and as I was going down the street, suddenly somebody came out of their driveway and they backed into me. And it was one of those things where as you're driving, you know, you see it just a split second before it happens, and you honk, and you swerve, and you, you know, I accelerated to try to dodge it, but it happened too fast, and their car hit my car. So we both got out, and we're looking at the damage, and the first thing the person says is, I never saw you. I believe them. I don't think they saw me. I don't think it was a malicious act. I don't think that they were looking and saying, oh, here he comes, you know, and then just gassed it. I don't think that's what was going on. And cars have blind spots. There were two other cars parked along the road near the driveway. I, I think it was blocking their view. It was, it was a mistake. It was an accident. They didn't intend for it to happen, but was it trouble? Yeah. I mean, and sometimes those mistakes and that poor judgment, sometimes it costs money. It brings harm. There's damage that done, that's done. This is just a reality of life. We, we encounter trouble because of poor judgment. Now, something that's important for us to understand as we kind of look at the circles and move out from the center, something that's important to understand is a decision that God made when God created you and me, when God created humans. When he created people, he decided to make us for a relationship, a relationship with him and a relationship with other people. And the type of relationship that he was after would involve love, true love. And whenever you have a real relationship that involves true love, there's an essential piece that's required, and that essential component is freedom. So in order for there to be a true relationship and real love, God had to give us freedom. Freedom to accept love or freedom to reject love. Freedom to extend love or freedom to withhold love. Freedom to decide, do we want to be in a relationship or do we not want to be in a relationship? God decided from the very beginning, because of what he was after, that he was going to give us the ability to decide. He was going to give us freedom. He gave us the freedom to make choices with our lives. You and I, are we are fully conscious. He made us fully conscious, aware of what we're doing, self-determining beings. And because of this freedom and the responsibility that goes along with that freedom, there's pain and there's suffering in this life that's not because of evil behavior or malicious intentions. It's just part of the freedom that we have. People make mistakes. There are errors. There are oversights. There's poor judgment. And there's trouble that comes with living in a world where people have freedom. We make our own decisions. We make our own judgments. Sometimes we do stuff that's stupid. Sometimes we make poor judgments. Sometimes we make mistakes. That's important to understand as we kind of go through the layers that God gave us freedom, 
And so there's stuff that we do with that freedom that's not necessarily bad or intentional, but it brings trouble. So that's the first layer, poor judgment. But there aren't just accidents and mistakes that we make with our freedom. There's also willful rebellion, intentional decisions to do what we know that we shouldn't do. That brings us to the second layer. If you're starting from the center, you got poor judgment. The second layer is sin. It's the second reason that we experience trouble in life. Sin is a violation of how God intends for us to live. We, we use our freedom to reject God and reject his plan, and instead we do what we want to do. You know, we're selfish, and in our selfishness, we think, that, we think that we're the center of the universe. We're the most important person in the room. What we want is the most important desire. We're arrogant, so we look down on other people, and we think that our ideas and our thoughts and our feelings are superior to everybody else's, including God's. We actually, we, we think we know better than God. That's why we make some of the decisions that we make. And then when you take our selfishness and our arrogance, what that adds up to mean is if we want something, and because we deserve it, we're entitled to it, if somebody gets in the way of what we want, we'll go as far as to hurt them. I mean, we'll even do this to the people that we say we care about the most. You know, if you get in the way of what we want, it might not be physical, but maybe we'll say something sharp, say something that's harsh, belittle them. Maybe, maybe we'll use some kind of emotional manipulation. We're willing to injure and cause damage to people, even the people that we care about, if they get in the way of what we want. This sin in our lives produces trouble. And one of the ways that God describes the decision to sin in the Bible is he compares it to the act of planting a seed. You know, when you plant a seed, over time it germinates and it sprouts, and then the, the, the plant appears, and then you have the fruit. You figure out, you know, what, what came about from that seed that you planted. He compares that to the decision to sin. There are some things that you make the decision to sin, and you plant the seed, and the results are seen pretty quickly, and you realize, that was a really bad decision. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, and that brought consequences into my lives. But there's other times where you plant the seed, and then it could take years for the seed to germinate and then sprout and then grow into a plant and for there to be fruit. And it's in the delay of when we commit the act or make the decision and when we experience it. During that delay, we start to think, sin's really not that big a deal. This isn't that serious. I mean, there hasn't been anything bad that's happened, so it must not be a big deal. Sometimes we hold on to those sins and we, we play with them and we keep them in our lives. But God says, hey, over time, eventually, that plant's going to grow and that fruit is going to come to fruition in your life, and you're going to experience the trouble that is attached to that decision. We experience trouble in this world because of our sin. But it's not just our sin that brings trouble. It's also the sin of others. And this, this one's really hard for us. Even the sin of people that we don't know, sometimes their sin brings trouble into our lives. There was one night where I got home, and I left my car on the street, and I went inside, and, you know, the next morning I came outside to get in my car and go to work, and when I got in my car, somebody had been in it, and some stuff in my car had been stolen. So, you know, I called the police and asked what I should do, and based on what was stolen, they said, you need to file a police report, and, you know, you need to get the DMV involved, and there were some different paperwork things I had to do, and it took hours of my life that I planned on spending doing something else to respond to the wrong that was done to me. It took money. I had to spend money to get some stuff taken care of and replace some things. And that person, I don't even know who the person is. They, they never got caught. I mean, there's no, I have no idea. But their sin, their decision to steal something from me, that cost me. That brought trouble, unwanted trouble 
into my life. I mean, this is just a reality. Our lives are connected. Our lives intersect. Sometimes the decision to sin by one person, we, we have nothing to do with it necessarily, but it can bring trouble into our lives. Second layer is sin. Now, I want to point out something as we are kind of moving from the center, moving out. Oftentimes, there's more than one layer involved. When it came to the person getting in my car and stealing some stuff from me, yes, they sinned and they stole stuff from me that they shouldn't have, but I also left the car door unlocked. That was stupid. And that was, that was poor judgment on my part. So it wasn't just, I mean, should they have done what they did? No, they were wrong. There's no question about that. But I also made a mistake. So oftentimes as we kind of go through the trouble, we realize, hey, there's, there's more going on than just one thing. Often there's more than one layer involved in the trouble that we experience. The third layer, so poor judgment, sin, the third layer is what's referred to as the curse. Now, this is the layer that we often overlook. And what the Bible says is that shortly after God created the world, placed Adam and Eve, the first man and woman here, and they used that freedom that they had to decide to reject God and to rebel against God. And because of that decision that they made, that brought a curse onto all of creation, them and then the rest of the world. There's several passages in the Bible that talk about this, but Genesis 3 describes what happened. It says this. It, this is God talking to the woman, to Eve. He says this to her. He says, I'll make your, ch- your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Notice that there's physical trouble, and there's also relational trouble that's introduced because of the curse. Then he turns to Adam, the man, and he says this. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. For since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's saying there's stuff in this world that's harder than it needs to be because of the curse. And it's saying there's stuff that's introduced that wasn't a part of the original creation, stuff that is just, it's just part of life. It's part of reality, but it wasn't a part of the, inter- the original creation. It, difficulty and pain and hardship was introduced at a level that it wasn't before. Like it says in the passage, thorns and thistles, stuff appear. And it's not an exhaustive list. What this is talking about is this, this, what we refer to as we live in a broken world. The world is broken. It's under a curse. Creation, other passages talk about how creation is now bound to the law of decay. Thorns appeared. Weeds and germs are now present. Disease, accidents, destructive weather patterns, earthquakes, natural disasters that wouldn't otherwise happen. Stuff that insurance agents look at and call acts of God. That's part of the curse. It wasn't a part of the original design. It was introduced. Now, when Jesus returns, the curse will end. But until then, this is the world that you and I live in. This is reality. We live in a world that's under a curse. It includes all of creation. Now, for me, I've got some old sports injuries that I've picked up through the years. And without fail, every year that I get older, I seem to wake up with more aches and pains in the morning. And so, you know, with my injuries and then just kind of having aches and pains, you know, you go to the doctor and you try to figure out what's going on. Can we heal this? Can we address this? And, you know, you, you know they kind of analyze you. And there's kind of two Two main ideas that I've been presented with as I've done this through the years. One response is, 
they kind of, you know, they kind of look at you and they evaluate you and, you know, do this, the scans and the tests and everything. And then they just say, sorry, we can't help you. This is just your reality. I mean, you're, you know, you, you know, you had fun when you were young and you're paying for it now. So just get used to it. You know, this is the rest of your life. I really don't like that answer. So you go to other medical professionals and get, you know, hopefully something a little more optimistic. And you go see other professionals and they look at the same information and their response is, oh, 100% we can correct this. 100%. I mean, you're going to be better at 35. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be faster. You're going to be more active than you were at 22. 100% chance we're going to address this. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. This is going to be great. And I appreciate the optimism. I really do. But something that, struck, that strikes me as you, know, you interact with these different professionals is there's this assumption that given the right fitness habits, your body will perform perfectly. I mean, take the right supplements, have the right diet, do the right workout, go to the right therapist with the right therapy, and just everything will work perfect, exactly how it was designed. And in an ideal and perfect world, that might be true. In an ideal and perfect world, the body will function perfectly how it was designed to. But this isn't an ideal and perfect world. This world is under a curse. And again, I, I appreciate the optimism. I want a doctor that's willing to say, okay, let's try something new. Let's, let, I mean, we're always learning. Let's, let's see if there's some new information out there. Let's try some new therapies. Have you, have you considered some alternative things? Have you considered diet? I, I, want, I want that approach. But I realize that even if you do everything perfectly, I mean, you know, if you have the perfect surgery, if you have the best physical therapist that has a perfect plan, you know, if you have the best diet, the best supplements, the, the perfect amount of rest and recovery, if you do everything right, there still might be problems and pain. That's just part of living under the curse. It's not, it's not a fatalistic approach that just says, well, this is the way it's going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. But it's just realizing that this is, this is just the reality of the world we live in. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where cars break down, people get sick, there are medical complications, computers crash, storms bring destruction. This planet is under a curse. That includes you and me. The fourth layer is Satan. So it goes from the curse, and again, we're moving out. The fourth layer is Satan. Now, in our modern world, we really think Satan's a joke. He's the red devil with horns and a pitchfork and a funny tail that you see in cartoons. And we kind of think, okay, with our, with our knowledge and our sophistication and what we've learned, we've really evolved past the point of believing such foolishness. That's what we think. But the Bible paints a very different picture than we see in movies and cartoons. Actually, what Satan can do is he can attack us directly, or he can use the other layers. He can use the curse, or he can use sin to bring trouble into our lives. The most obvious story of this in the Bible is the book of Job. It's actually the book where we kind of got that verse that we're focusing on out of. But in the book of Job, I, I'm not going to get into the whole thing because you can, you can read it on your own. It's located in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. In the book of Job, Job is a, is a very successful, very, very wealthy, respected man. And then he goes through almost every form of suffering that humans can go through. And it turns out the one that's behind the suffering, the source of the attacks against him, is Satan. And Satan uses the various kind of 
rings the various layers of trouble in his life. So there's one scene in chapter one where there's different groups of thieves that come through and they, they take almost all of Job's possessions. All the stuff that makes him wealthy and makes him well-respected, it's taken away from him. Satan uses the sin of other people. They shouldn't have stolen. That's a sin. But he uses the sin of others to bring trouble into Job's life. There's another scene in chapter one where Job's adult children are having a party and a celebration in one of the son's homes and there's a wind, kind of like a tornado, that comes through and it destroys the home and all the kids end up dying. That's a destructive weather pattern. That's part of the curse. But again, Satan is, he's kind of the one behind it, making this stuff happen. And in chapter two, there's a scene where Satan actually attacks Job directly and he inflicts his whole body with sores and blisters and wounds that just are festering and won't heal. And the, the book is very shocking and at times it's hard to read through but it's informative for you and me because it points to, okay, back to this kind of the layers of trouble. Satan is a factor, not, in, not necessarily in every situation, but he's real and he does things and he, he brings trouble. And it's not just direct attacks. He can use the different layers to bring trouble into our lives. It's, it's informative for you and me to be aware of this is, this is part of the reality. Satan is the fourth layer, but Satan is not the final layer. He's not the ultimate power. There is an even greater layer. The final layer and the ultimate power is God. This is the last of the five circles. God is the one who has control. He has the power over the rest of the layers. Now, when I was growing up, I was accurately taught that God's in control. I was, I was taught that he has the power. He's omnipotent. But a lot of times what we'll do is because because we're told that God is, he's the final layer, he's the one with control, he's also the one that gets blamed for everything. Everything bad that happens, it must be his fault. And so I remember kind of having this train of thought when I was younger. I, you know, my parents taught me, hey, God's in control. And then I started to wrongly think, well, if he's in control, then he must cause all these bad things to happen to me. So I remember one time I was, I was probably playing with my siblings and I was running through the house and I turned a corner in my bedroom, and I kicked the bedpost, and I stubbed my toe, and it hurt. I mean, it hurt really bad. And I remember as a little kid, I was angry, and I accused God, almost like he was being like malicious, and he was just being mean, and placed it right there in front of me, and then caused my foot to swing and kick it. And I was like, why would you do this to me? And I was angry at him. And, And that's actually a pretty common response whenever we encounter trouble. But was it that God made me run at the right speed and place the bed frame at just the right location and then my foot moved at just the right velocity to create excruciating pain? Or is that just part of human freedom in a broken world? I mean, a lot of times we, we just jump to something bad happens and it's, oh, it's God, he's doing this to me and he gets the blame right away. But then we forget about the fact that, oh yeah, we have freedom and we're held, there's, there's responsibility that goes along with our ability to make decisions. And we live in a broken world where stuff happens. And what that means is there's, there's, there's trouble that enters into our lives. And there's pain that we experience that God is not the source of. Sometimes it's just part of our freedom and in the type of the world that we live in. But there are other times when God is the source. When he does bring pain and suffering into our lives. There are times when he'll use pain and suffering to wake us up to reality, to wake us up to sin that we're allowing in our lives and to how severe and how big of a deal it is. There are times when he'll 
allow pain and suffering and remove something from our lives that we love, something that we're living for, to show us that there's actually something more important and more valuable to live for. And whenever he does that, that really hurts. Whenever the thing that you think is most important and you're giving your energy and your time and your focus to, and this is what you love, when God takes that, that really hurts. You love that thing. You're living for that thing. But one of the reasons God does this, and this is, this again, this is really important to understand about him, his top concern is not our happiness right here, right now. He, he wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have a fulfilled life. But at the same time, he realizes that eternity is much more important. And our growth here and now in preparing to spend eternity with him, that's his priority in this life. And sometimes it takes pain to get us to see that. Sometimes we get so focused on these other things that in the end, they're really not significant. That God's got to introduce something to wake us up so that we see, oh, this is far more important. This is really what's going on. But that hurts. And that's hard. But because God loves us, he's willing to do that to get us to see what's really important. Another thing that God will do is God will use trouble and pain for good. Not just our good, but actually for the good of other people. There's a story about a man named Joseph in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And it's in kind of the latter portion of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And I think it starts in verse or chapter 37 and runs through the end of the book. And so you can read through it. But it's, it's really a series of kind of one bad event after the other as you kind of read through his life. It starts off, he's the 11th born of 12 sons. And his older brothers hate him because he's his, favorites, his, he's his father's favorite son. So they hate him. And because they hate him and they're jealous, they fake his death and then sell him to some slave traders. They just get rid of him. So then he goes into a foreign country. He's taken to this foreign country. He's sold to be a household slave for this, this powerful family. He's falsely accused of sexual assault. He's thrown into prison. He's forgotten about. He's overlooked. I mean, you just read through the story, and it's just one bad thing after another. And then towards the end of his time, it says this in Genesis 50, his, his path crosses with his brothers. And this is the observation that he makes towards the end of his life. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What he's pointing out is he's saying, hey, it, which is true, his brothers intended to harm him. They faked his death and they sold him. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to never see him again. He's like, this was because of evil intention, but ultimately God used this for good. If you read through the whole story, you see that because of Joseph, multiple nations of people survived. I mean, his actions and his foresight and planning and the wisdom he had not only blessed the people around him, it blessed millions of people. God was bringing good. But I bet in the middle of it when he's going through it, I bet, I bet it hurt. I bet he was angry. I bet he was confused. I bet he was wondering, how in the world could a good and loving God ever, ever allow this to happen to me? But as he kept following God and kept saying, okay, I, I don't know all the wise God, but I'm going to keep walking with you and I'm going to do the next right thing. He finally reached a point where he looked back and he said to his brothers, the people that he could have gotten even with, the people that started this whole thing in the beginning, he looked at him and he said, hey, you guys, you did this because you hated me. But God, God allowed this to happen for my good and for the good of other people, including you guys. God is the final layer. He's the one behind the trouble that we experience. Trouble in our lives is not isolated, 
there are layers, and, o- and oftentimes there are multiple layers involved. It's highly complex. You can't just point to one thing. So in response to this, this is the world we live in. This is where trouble comes from. What can we do? I've got two ideas what we can do in response to the trouble that we're all going to experience in this life. The first idea is learn to be wise. Learn to be wise. The wisest thing a person can ever do is to take God seriously. I'm going to say that again, and I would recommend you writing it down. The wisest thing a person can ever do is to take God seriously. Take him seriously. It starts with a decision to to follow Jesus. Say, you know what? I'm going to take Jesus seriously, and I'm going to follow him. And then it's followed by thousands of daily decisions where it's, okay, instead of doing this the way I want to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to take his instruction seriously, and I'm going to do it. A wise person takes God seriously. And because they're taking God seriously, they say, okay, well, this is how he says the world works. Poor judgment brings trouble. Okay, so is there, is there a way that I can stop making so many stupid decisions? Is there a way I can mitigate some of my mistakes? I ask for input, get people around you who give insight, learn from your mistakes. You can't live a perfect life, but you can alleviate some of the trouble. And what about when it comes to sin? I mean, God has a lot to say about sin. He says, don't ignore it. Don't play around with it. If you do sin, confess it. If it involves somebody else, go and ask for forgiveness. Make restitution if you can. Do what needs to be done to clear it up. And then, and then put stuff in place to avoid that sin. Don't go near it. He says, take it seriously. This brings trouble into our lives. You know, when it, when it comes to the curse, you know, you can't eliminate all risk. I, I heard a story on the radio right after Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, and they were talking to a risk assessment analyst, and he lived in the city of Houston. And he was talking about all the flood risk in that city. He was talking about if the storm hits just the right way because of how the, you know, all the stuff in the city, the waterways and everything, he's like, He's pretty much saying, we kind of knew that with the perfect storm, this would happen. So the the person interviewing him was pretty shocked that he would know that much about the city and then still choose to live there. So she asked him, she said, well, why in the world do you live there if there's such a risk? And his response was, well, there's a risk everywhere you live. So I built my house on a hill next to a a drainage canal. I mean, he's just saying, hey, I mean, you can't live a risk-free life, but you can learn to be wise. You can make some wise decisions, so do that. Something that a wise person knows is they know that they will never be able to perfectly diagnose the source of the trouble in their lives. They know that playing whack-a-mole and just trying to figure out, is it this, is it this, is it this? They know that at the end, that's essentially futile. It's a waste of time. So instead of overanalyzing the why, what a wise person does is they say, God, what do you want me to do? What's the next step you want me to take? What do you want me to learn from this? How do you want me to interact with this person who I, I think might be the source of this trouble? The wisest person is going to ask, God, what do you want me to do? So learn to be wise. Another thing you can do is invest your life in the church. Something that I don't want to do is I don't want to act like the trouble that we encounter is not real and that it doesn't hurt. It hurts. And sometimes the pain lasts years, and even it can last a lifetime. And there's times when we go through trouble where we really struggle with seeing how in the world could God ever get good out of this? How could this be good for me? How could this be good for anybody else? But I do know that you don't want to go through this alone. 
investing in the church is incredibly important. So if it's Seabreeze, invest here. If it's another church, invest. Don't just hop, plug in, realize this, make this your family. Make this the place where this is the mission I'm going to live for. Invest. You know, because I, I want to say Happy New Year with all the confidence that this is going to be the best year you've ever had. I do want that. But I realize this is the world we live in. There's trouble. And you don't want to go through this alone. So learn to be wise. Take God seriously. If he says it, do it. And then invest your life in the church. Let's pray. Father, I realize that in a room this size, there is a range of what we're experiencing. So God, I pray for those in the room that are hurting and they're confused and there might even be anger and bitterness associated with that. I pray that you would shine hope on them and help them see what you might be doing or how you might use this. God, I pray you would help them to ask you, what do you want me to do? God, I pray for the people in this room who they have never been happier. The life is the best that it's ever been. God, I pray that, that they would realize that we're not feudalistic, we're not, we're not Debbie Downers, but we just we realize this is reality. So I pray that even when life's going their way, they would take you seriously. And even when they feel like there's nothing else that they could ever want or need, they would still invest in the church and realize that this is incredibly important. God, I thank you that you speak to this and you don't leave us in the dark. In Jesus' name, amen.